This episode is powered by Tom DeLeo Day Financial Planning Services. On today's episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. It's not one of like the stigmas behind it is like speaking it into existence or, you know, like putting your bad mouth on onto something, you know, that it we can't control what's going to happen. And even myself right now, healthy, I can leave the house and get an accident and not be able to make a choice for myself. But I would much rather know who's going to make those choices for me and who's going to truly advocate for me. And often if those paperworks and documents aren't established, it becomes an estranged ex-wife that technically is still married or a child that wasn't really involved or, or the doctors having to make that choice. And, Mm. you know, there's things to consider when you go about making those choices. It's okay if you are not the one who can make that choice. In our situation, my younger sister was very emotional and she didn't want to have that responsibility to say, you know, don't do anything else. Um, And it's a hard responsibility to have. But so you need someone who is willing to set their own needs aside and advocate for the well-being of that person who is going through death and dying. Um, This episode is sure to deliver stimulating conversations and aha moments that may give you a fresh perspective. If any moment made your soul vibrate, please leave us a review and let us know if we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com to access exclusive offers and coaching packages. The coaching packages include clarity calls, VIP one-on-one exclusive coaching, and my absolute favorite, the Tribe Vibes. A Tribe Vibe is a twist on Ladies' Night, focusing on self-care for Black women with a holistic approach. Welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula, a transformation life coach and mental health and wellness advocate. This is a safe space for amazing Black women to share open, honest dialogue about mental health and wellness, self-care, self-love, and basically how to get our shift together. Let's tune in to this week's episode. This for the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams, get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean, the way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka, redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras, doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip, adjust your crown, you God's gift to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water, meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure. You got to love a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. These black girls getting a shift together, dog. Hello and welcome to the season three premiere of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Today we're going to talk to Diana, who is also known as RN Bus D. Diana, entrepreneur, author, millennial, and that's the caregiver badass who's on a mission to change the experience of being a family caregiver. She realized that in today's healthcare system, little support is provided for the people caring for those who are ill. This experience has led Diana to form Life Uninterrupted, where millennial women of color can find a sense of community, resources, and guidance in caring for their ill loved ones. When I... 
my mom was diagnosed with cancer, it changed my life. I thought being a nurse would prepare me, but it's it's just not the same um, when it's a personal experience. And um, I, I I was always empathetic and cared about my patients, but um, now I understood, and that completely changed my experience as a nurse. And I'm thankful for it. And I believe that, you know, it was a gift that I was given um, to help others. But, you know, it, it was hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, first of all, before we get into that, anyone who's listening, if you have questions for the lovely Diana, feel free to put your question in the comment box and we'll get to it as soon as we can. So back to you, Diana. Do you mind talking about the experience with your mom? Uh, Not at all. Uh, It's uh, been seven years and it's still a painful, I'm still grieving. It's never, it doesn't end um, seven years since she's passed. um, But she was diagnosed with uterine cancer and Mm. the first year wasn't um, horrible. She had her chemo, regular appointments, um, surgery, and she was still pretty independent. Uh, I was just there to give her guidance, explain to the doc, you know, translate, um, so to speak. And uh, she went back to work. She was in remission. The cancer was gone. And I, I at least thought that life was back to normal. Um, and How old was she? She was 61 when she was diagnosed and 63 when she passed. Um, she was so, young. Yep, she was young. I was in my late 20s, 28-ish. Um, and so uh, she went back to work. She was a home health aide, a caregiver herself. Um, and she did live-in work. And she went back to work and came. She did, as I said, she did live-in. And so... Half the time she was in Florida, half the time she was local, and she was in Florida at the time, came home for vacation to visit and was complaining of like pain and, at, you know, and but she's, I'm, I'm of Haitian descent. And so she was like strong and never really complained of pain. So we finally convinced her to go to the emergency room uh, one day and found out that what she thought was constipation or some sort of abdominal issue was the tumor had grown so big that it had obstructed both her kidneys and her bowels. And within a very short period of time, she needed emergency surgery and had to have a colostomy, which is a you know tube for fecal matter and as well as an, a urine tube. Um, and it, like, I remember when I uh, my, it was me and my younger sister, um, who's seven years younger than me. Um, I remember thinking like, oh no, this is the beginning of the end. And I mm-hmm. remember not wanting to think that, like wanting to have hope and to be positive, but also as a nurse and a provider, knowing the extent of things was like very frightening. And with, you know, and I'm, as hard as it was, I always like to, you know, mention that I, I had a I had a lot of support, but even with family members assisting and you know knowing what I was doing, it's still a journey. Um, and I think that's the thing that I like to advocate that it's it's not about what you know that you are losing someone even if you don't know it yet, um, or losing the relationship that you had the normal where she is the caretaker instead of you know and now I am the caretaker. You know my mom was my caretaker, even in her cancer, right? She's still- How was she your caretaker? I, I mean, I remember a story. It was about a year um, before uh, she had cancer at the time, right? And I, as a nurse, have to go rain or shine. Um, and I always think about how she, one day it was like snowing in, in our area and I had to be at work at 7 a.m. So I was digging out my car and I see like this little snow bunny, like all bundled up, just eyes. And I'm like, my mom is short. She's like five to 200 and something pounds. And I'm like, mom, what are you doing here? She's like, oh, I came to help you help you dig out your car. I'm like, if you don't go home, we live like two blocks away from each other. I'm like, if you don't take your home, like, like you know, you, you're trying, you're old behind and trying to help me dig out my car so that I like could be at work on time. So, you know, she... And, and then the word she said, you know, the last days and the last moments was still her advocating for me to take care of myself. So that's just who she 
that's just who she was. Um, you know, she, I, it's ironic, maybe. I didn't necessarily always want to be a nurse. I don't have that story. Sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> what I kind like, of nurse are you? I have a very wide range of experience in nursing. Um, I've done home care. I've done home telehealth. ICU at the time I was caring for my mother. I was an ICU nurse. Um, I've done cardiac. Um, I ironically hadn't done like oncology or cancer nursing, but um, and now could never do that. But uh, yeah, so she's she's always just kind of you know advocated for me and always wanted the best for her children. Like that was her purpose as an immigrant American, a Haitian American. She just wanted a better life for us, and so it was. It was hard losing her. I'm sure. Oh my God. So, can we talk about your health care, uh, your self care going through this process with mom? So, I would definitely say that a lot of what I've learned has been trial and error and making a lot of mistakes in my own journey and then figuring out what works for me personally and works for other people, right? And I know as a, specifically as a woman of color that I feel like there's this disconnect of the need for self-care and setting boundaries is confused with uh, not accepting the role. And like, you know, and so I, if I could do it again, I would do it a thousand times, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But with that being said, I don't have to be a superwoman. You know, one of my models is like, I retired my cape, you know? I'm not superwoman anymore. And I was, like I said, an ICU nurse, which is a very stressful job. It was a relatively new job, you know, and in a relationship and managing my social life and planning my future, caring for myself, caring for my siblings, not fully, but trying to, you know, plan and things like that. And I was last on that list most of the time, you know? Um, And I, for many parts of my life, had thought that like emotions were a weakness um, that we had to, we, I had to get, I had to get it done. If that, you know, it's like, I, I had to be on go all the time. And, but I realized that there's only so much you can handle in general. And so I think the very first step is being real. I, I have like a system, like, you know, um, how to care, give like a boss. And the first step is being real with yourself and understanding that every superhero, my superhero, my mom needed help in the end. And every strong, independent, fearless woman needs help. And that is, that is the real sign of strength when you say that this is too much and I need additional help. And so. I agree. I believe a lot of us, especially us sisters, (laughs) that we are in our head so much and not coming from our hearts, from our emotions, and how much we can bear is almost a sign of how big our cape is. And there's bricks in the cape. It's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. And we we don't have to bear that much weight. We just do not. But I really feel like we're conditioned that way. I, I I completely agree that we we just like our our sometimes our what led us to strength is trauma, and uh, because we had no other choice. Um, and I, I feel that personally, my strengths are weaknesses. You know, they're and they're always one and the same. And although I am strong, being too strong when you need help is is hard. So what does that look like being too strong to not ask for help? So you, you don't, I don't know everything, you know, um, and neither do you. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, and specifically in the healthcare space, I feel I've seen my peers and, and customers be fearful of asking or stating that they don't understand something medically. Right. And, you know, I have my master's in nursing, and I'm, but I'm not a doctor. I don't know everything about nursing. So I don't care if you have a PhD in, you know, what 
any other field, an engineer, you're the baddest biatch in, in your whole corporation, this is a new area for you. And that's that's okay. And the nurses and the healthcare providers, it is their job to explain it and break it down to you. So that is one area that people, you know, don't like to seem their ego gets in the way and they don't ask the right questions. They 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 wait home to Google it, but that's what that person is there for, you know, to answer those questions and to follow up and whatever else. And the other stigmas of being a black woman, an angry black woman, a this black woman, whatever, um, an uneducated black woman, whatever the stigmas you might hold are our limitations. And setting boundaries is uh, another thing that we have an issue with that, you know, yes, we are there to help, but help doesn't have to necessarily mean sacrificing yourself. And that the help that you provide should allow you to still give the care to yourself that you need because, you know, it's cliche, but you really can't pour from an empty cup. No one can, right? Exactly. But again, we take pride in having that dry cup and everybody else has a full cup. Uh, may I just interject for my listeners? It, I love how Diana is talking about a superwoman complex, especially with us sisters. And a guest, Diana, that I've had on in the past, her name is Sarita Yvonne, and her and I did a, an episode about the Black Superwoman Complex. I would love to. I have to check that one out. <laughs> Please do. Because uh, what you're saying, you're here and she's here and you both are saying the same thing. It just looks different, but it's the same thing. So anyone who hears my voice, I invite you to go back in season two and look it up. Look, It's amazing. I mean, I didn't realize that I was a superwoman. I was so busy looking. Oh, yeah, well, my friend may be there an associate, but I too am one. I didn't want to ask for help when, with my situation. <laughs> that it led to burnout, caregiver burnout, literally. Yeah. How were your siblings with it? Did they have a super superhero complex through this with mom? So I feel like my family dynamics um, were complex. I, I had I have two older brothers. Um, one is a nurse and uh, one was a firefighter. They definitely were involved in, you know, but they grieved and dealt with losing someone differently. Um, you know, I, yes, you, you, you can. Um, if my brother's listening to this, no shade. Um, but one of the issues is as, a, as an Haitian American is that I, I feel like men a lot of times avoid their emotions, right? And um, you know, that it's not right. It's not wrong. It's just where we are in our like grief process. And so seeing it and being hands as hands-on, I think was hard for them in a different way. And my younger sister was very, very involved, um, and engaged, but she, she's always been the baby and she was a young single mom. And so that had its complications, but I had extended family who helped, you know, my mom's um, aunt and cousins. And so I was definitely very blessed that, you know, she was, she was loved because she had always cared for other people, but it, it, sometimes that brings complication. We all have our different perspectives. You know, sometimes I was a nurse more than I was a daughter and felt guilty about that. I was trying to explain the medical side of things and whys and yada, yada. And, you know, I have, you know, the, the holistic eat green only, you know, family member who's telling her at the end of life, like not to eat meat. I'm like, she just let her be happy, you know? And so there's all that too many chefs in the pot dynamic of things um, that played a part, but it was all out of love. But sometimes mm -hmm. that's hard to navigate when you're in it. And that's one of the things that I also like advocate is that sometimes you need a mediator. Um, that really, yes. That, Would that be like a family member or someone totally um, out of the family spectrum? Someone totally out of the family spectrum. Sometimes uh, it could be a friend, it, it could be a professional, but um, there we, we don't think as clearly because our emotions are 
tied into the situation. And so, you know, when when you talk to Big Brother, your sister, you know, you know all of their dirt and how they respond and what they did the last time. And so there's a lot of like other emotions about how they're responding, right? And so you, you don't see it as clearly as someone else would be. And you can't hear their voice because you're so stuck in your own grief and, and experience. So it's hard to empathize with those people when they cope in a way that you don't think is appropriate. But, you know, one of the biggest things is lowering our expectations of others because we all are doing our best, even if our best sucks to you, right? <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. so there's, there's going to be family members who aren't as engaged, who can't help out, who don't meet the commitment to whatever else. But we can't control our external factors. We can only control how we process them. And so having a mediator to help you understand and navigate those feelings about your family members and their role in your loved one is important. But, and then also setting boundaries, like going back to setting boundaries, not being a martyr yourself. If, you, if you've been a martyr, if that's been your role, I don't know, I'm the third, the middle child, whatever, I think that sometimes uh, I see myself as the strong one or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And when I'm no longer strong, then then what happens? And they don't know how to respond and neither do you. And so you need someone else who can think without the connected emotions to help you navigate and find productive solutions and not stem from those emotions like anger and, you know, distrust and sadness and grief because we're all processing multiple emotions. That is, you see that my notebook. That is a great suggestion with the me. Uh, where were you years ago? I needed this. So how, go ahead. What were you about to say? Okay, and that's one of the services that I offer. I do family meetings um, that to provide a safe space for people to communicate. And when 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 it gets a little hostile, that someone has to be able to say like, that's not productive. What is your goal? Or what are you really trying to say, right? You know, are you really, like, what is, what happened when you were in preschool or whatever have to do with this? Or why why are you intentionally trying to hurt someone you love? You know, mm-hmm. um, because you're hurt or if the goal is to care for your mother or your father or to get more resources or to feel less burnt, then let's let's get to that instead of being hurtful with each other. Because a lot of times we don't, Communication is very hard in highly intense relationships, to say the least. (laughs) Wow, these are some good tips right now. I'm telling you. Um, Before we get into what other services you have, I also want to just go back a little, go back a little. How did your grieving process look? Because you talked about how your siblings, how was it for you? It's still happening and it will be a, a lifelong, I think, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, at first, being strong, getting things done and, you know, having an agenda was how I grieve. It was a, it, in different ways. It was avoidance, right? Being there for other people instead of addressing mm-hmm. of what I felt mm-hmm. um, was how I grieved. And a, bi- a bigger part of why I started Uh, life uninterrupted is because I did a lot of unhealthy coping skills. Um, You know, I'm like, my mom died at 63. My dad had passed uh, years before of cancer as well. Um, And in his 60s, I'm like, chances are I'm not going to make it much past my 60s. So YOLO, right? Like I had been a very like reserved and whatever. And I'm like, turned down for what? Like now in my 30s, right? Um, I was like a late bloomer, partier, whatever. And I was, it wasn't fully extreme, but there was some points where I just needed to like feel something. Mm -hmm. um, And that sometimes turned into alcohol or, you know, other unhealthy relationships um, because I didn't know how to grieve. Uh, and I didn't know that. And so I, and, you know, I've had therapy. I'm a big advocate of finding a therapist. You know, I, yes, I uh, like 
am, I'm, I'm okay with medication. One of the things I say about mm. medication, not just for like mental health, but for anything is that it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a safety vest or a life vest. If you're drowning, right? You, you're not going to need it the whole time, but no one's going to tell you, learn how to swim while you're drowning. You're just going to put that vest on and get to a stable place. And then you can take that, that vest off once you're stable. But sometimes it's just the bridge that we need to get over the crisis that we're in um, at that moment. And so, you know, you know, I've I got into my own physical fitness and health, um, you know, that is a coping skill for me. Exercise is a, is a big thing. The opposite coping skill is eating, overeating. You know, I used to uh, be a larger woman. I had gastric bypass surgery. I'm very open about that too. Um, and really? yes. And so as when my mom passed away, I put on a lot of weight. And I remember my uh, coworker telling me at like a wedding years later, like you let yourself go. And I'm like, She's, I'm like, my mom died and I was going through a lot. And she's like, that was a long time ago. It's time to get your shit together. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I didn't like hearing it, but it was kind of true that like I was suppressing my grief and food. Um, and so I, I, yoga, meditation, you know, therapy, exercise, being more open and being more vulnerable. And that this is that's why I'm here because I think that we do this in secrecy, right? We um yes. you know, there's shame associated with mental health, you know, and just like weak being weak, you know. Um, and so I want to be that voice voice of vulnerability for other black women to say that it's okay to not be okay as a as a daughter, as a caregiver, and that. We don't have to know how to navigate it. We can get help. Yeah, exactly. It's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I love what you talked about as far as the shame that comes with mental health, especially again in our community. Um, and I believe we put the stigma on ourselves as well, as well as social stigmas. But I believe forms like this is we can see that our situations are not unique. I mean, my phone, my inbox, people are asking questions. They want to hear from you. So uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Wow. But I love how you, oh, what were you about to say? No, no, go ahead. I love how you talked about uh, life uninterrupted. Um, thank you for sharing your story about your mom and, and your family. Um, but I definitely want to spend the second half of this episode on um, all the gems that you have. And again, everyone who's listening, if you go to Diana's social media, her Instagram, you want to tell everybody your Instagram? It is rnbossd. So you can follow me at rnbossd. And that's also my website. So see me there. Right. See her there. She has a lot of nuggets. That's what turned me on to her as well as her website is in the show description box. So as soon as you're finished watching us, her website is there. Just click on it. You can have all the resources and where you can contact Diana. So let's get into this with your resources, which is so intriguing to me. How long did it take you to get all this together? That's a, You offer a lot. <laughs> so some of it is just literally my job like as a nurse right and so i've been doing it for patients for 15 years i've been a nurse for 15 years um but i realized the need in different ways uh once i experienced it personally mm. and it's always evolving because laws and resources change but so i'm looking on your website right now and again everybody go to her website and you can see exactly what i'm looking at and she has a page on there that says select areas that you're feeling the least supported in. So uh, financial concerns, do you mind talking about that? That seems to be a big one with a lot of us. So I, I would agree. It's it's very, very expensive to, to care for your loved one. And there, especially if you're in the middle um, with resources, 
it's it's hard to find external sources. And so first, my I always say is like I said, be real. Assess what you have. Have the hard conversations and figure out what debts, what insurance, what life insurance, what property, anything else that your loved ones have, had they, you know, do they have anything that can assets of value that can be sold because, mm. you know, that it's estimated that sometimes it can be $50,000 a year of out-of-pocket costs. That's like, yes, insane. And we assume that Medicare um, pays for more than it does, but a lot of that isn't, isn't covered. And, and then I say, look into the community, contact your doctor, ask them to speak with a social worker, contact your insurance, find out what's covered, become an informed consumer, look at your local agencies like the um, Corporations for Aging, you know, go and find out, you know, if, if, if your family member was a veteran, I, I actually work for the VA as a nurse as well, find out their veteran uh, benefits. If they don't have any, get that started. And whatever you time you think you have needs to be started years ago, right? Um, with Medicaid, they look back five to seven years, depending on your state, uh, for long-term care. So they pretty much want you to liquefy everything. And mm. so have those conversations before you even need to start having care of like getting things out of your family's name, putting things into the grandkids' name. I mean, not fraud, but really it's going to go to them anyway, right? Um, and and once once you exhaust those options, out of I know for me, like I said, as a Haitian American, my mom's biggest wish and need was for to leave something behind, you know, a legacy that, because that's not something that we have generational wealth. But at the end of the day, wealth without health means nothing. So, you know, a reverse mortgage is an option. Can you explain that, reverse mortgage? Um, so over, if, you know, your parents own the home, you basically get money now um, and sell the home before they pass away. Um, yeah, so you're, you're basically, you know, using the assets or the equity in your home as an asset. Uh, very often I, I, I would say set boundaries on your own personal well-being because I, what I've found or what I've researched is that what happens is that you take money out of your own retirement, you stop contributing to your own retirement, things like that. And now you're, when your time is to come, you'll be in the exact same situation um, as your, your elder was. And so there's long-term care insurance. If you're not there, you know, yet you can, that will pay for some, some of the benefits. And then I also say like, you really just have to be creative in how you find care. Um, it, the whole, it takes a community starting there you know, contacting like your local nursing schools, looking for nursing students, your, you know, churches and organizations um, to make, to find people to assist and to get services. And in that whole like superwoman complex, like humble thyself, right? Like mm. ain't no shame <laughs> and needing help. And you do want to be able we can't predict how long our loved ones are going to be ill, right? It's it's the irony, if you want to call it, that we want them to live forever. And so we want to provide them care long term. But as things advance, it's going to cost more and more. Um, and and so you just have to, like, like I said, nursing schools, um, other nonprofit organizations, things like that. That's, you know, start looking for other areas where you can um, share the the responsibility and and the wealth. Um, but mm -hmm. I love what you're saying. I'm going to put a huge asterisk and I'm sure a lot of people are going to agree with what I'm going to say or can relate. What if you have a parent, parent, 
that are just stubborn as hell. They don't want to talk about nothing. It's I understand it's triggering for everyone, but I believe the time to talk about it is not when you're in the funeral home. Ah, what do you do with a stubborn parent? So one of the hardest things about caring for your parents is that they're still your parent. And as long as they have the cognitive ability, they don't have dementia and things like that, and they don't just be very clear and direct that I need to know these things because I am afraid and I'm worried about your future, right? This isn't a place of judgment, greed, or whatever stigmas they may have about it. And I need to, and if you want me involved because I want the best for you, then this is what needs to happen. And if you don't want me involved, then I will not feel guilty for the consequences of your actions. You know, you have to, to separate the two, you know, that you can't force an adult to do anything. They still have their autonomy and it is very important for them to maintain their autonomy. It's very important to not treat your parents like children if they're still cognitively there. It's, it's shameful and prideful to lose their ability to care for themselves and to need help. And it's a very hard thing for them to do. So whatever you think you're going through, what they're going through is probably worse. And so all these issues and barriers are normal and to be accepted, expected, but you can only control your actions and how you respond to them. Wow. That hit home. That, that, that hit right here. Whew. Okay. Moving forward. What about skills to execute daily care needs? So that one is a little harder because depending on the disease and their stage of care, uh, it depends how hands-on and involved it might need to get. You know, it can be very intimate if you're caring for a male and you need, and he's incontinent and need to care for your father's, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. no-do or whatever, like it, it can be hard. And I think you need to like, again, being real of what you can and can't do um, is separating yourself from being the daughter or the wife or whatever new role you used to have mm-hmm. and put yourself in a mindset of this is the task that needs to be done and you know, and organizing it that way and not feeling, trying to separate the emotion from the task often. And then also just learning as much as possible the systems that are are needed. One of the things that I advocate is that if it's with insurance, if you can get a physical therapist or an occupational therapist in the home, physical therapy is specifically for like mobility and occupational therapy is, is more for uh, the tasks that they need to do each day, feeding themselves, commodes, walking, things like that. Um, and get, that's covered by insurance, get them to explain to you some of the the easier ways to maneuver, transferring people from, you know, a chair to a bed, uh, bathing techniques, uh, you know, mobility, keeping them like hygiene, and start thinking about the modifications and the, how your home is set up mm-hmm. again in advance because um, it's, it's better to be prepared and not need it than unprepared and need it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, showers, stairs, things like that become safety issues, um, fall risk, uh, just kind of thinking one step ahead and which is very hard to do when you're stuck in, in, in the everyday. Mm-hmm. But those, I would say physical therapists, occupational therapists, are the first two resources that I recommend to uh, help with mobility and care. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff right there. All right. What about, this was a huge one, planning the next steps of care, meaning the assisted living, the nursing home, living situations. So, not to self-promote or anything. I, for this one, I do advocate that you get 
help. Whether that help is hired help, you know, often insurance have care coordinators um, or nurse navigators are what they called social workers, case managers. There's many different, you know, terms for people who help you to anticipate the next step. But it also starts with understanding what to expect with the conditions that your loved one has. So the progression tends to be the same, unfortunately. Um, the time frame might vary, but understanding that diabetes might lead to this, high blood pressure might lead to a stroke and immobility, and understanding the true worst case scenario for your family member situation, plus the unknown is always there, mm -hmm. um, can help you plan the next step. So the, the big things, and it goes back to like financial and legal matter, is that a living will, um, an advanced directive, and knowing, having those uncomfortable conversations is where you start. Knowing what your loved one wants as far as long-term care needs, being realistic of what your family can and can't provide as far as you know, will you need to live with this person in order to give them care? Um, you know, or how, can you afford, you know, is there enough family members to rotate? Are you long distance? Will they have to go into a nursing home? That's like most people's worst like nightmare, but it does come to the point where you can't safely do it anymore. And you have to accept that. Um, and so, to, to rewind a little bit, I about the advanced directive and ask you that. What does yeah. that mean? So it basically says, you know, what your family member wants if they were to stop breathing or their heart were to stop or any uh, extended life care measures. And I, even with patients, it's a very touchy subject because people always say, like, oh, my family knows what I want, yada yada. But that's not enough from our perspective as healthcare providers. And one, when you when it happens, you are very emotional and it could be, and it, you can always change your mind, um, but it it's a comforting and it starts the grieving process when you know that you're doing what they want. And you wanna have a legal documentation that gives you the right to advocate for that person, right? So uh, durable power attorney, is gives you that right to make decisions for your loved ones if they have cognitive issues or whatever. And then a power of attorney is slightly different. Um, there are elder care attorneys and uh, that can break it down and I break it down um, as well. But understanding those different, the differences and what those mean and who will have the right to make those decisions if they cannot. And are you an entrepreneur? Do you have questions about insurance and annuities? Are you a new investor and have questions about wealth strategies? Or are you at an age like myself where you're planning retirement saving strategies? If you'd answered yes, then you need to contact Tondaleo Day Financial Services. You know, getting your shift together also includes financial wellness. And Tondaleo Day, who is a seasoned 25-year-plus financial advisor, he is the one for you. His Edward Jones Investments practice provides tailored solutions through an established process to help each of his clients reach their financial investment goals. So whether it's a retirement plan for a small business owner, assisting you with preparing for unexpected issues such as life insurance and long-term care, or consolidating your retirement plans, his team delivers upper echelon service, utilizing state-of-the-art tools and resources with a personal touch. Contact Tonda Leo Day at 770-466-0031. That's 770-466-0031 to schedule an appointment in his Loganville, Georgia office. And remember, if you're located outside of Georgia, no worries. 
You can also reach his financial branch via the web. His website is in the show notes below. Question. Could you, do you have that in your services as well? Along, in addition to being a mediator, is that considered the same thing? Uh, so that it's a little different, but what I do is do basically a, a care plan, right? Uh, do an assessment of what, where you are, what you have, and then what you need. Uh, and so that is part of the services that I offer because unfortunately, as a nurse, I've seen it many of times. And so it's easier for me to say this is the worst case scenario. I, I you know, it might not get it to there, but let's think about what are your long-term care options? What nursing homes, what assisted living, what adult daycares, if that's an op- option, you know, and I, I'll transition to this a little bit or whatever, hospice, because hospice is a very sensitive topic in our community um, often, and and not just in our community, most people choose hospice when it's too late. Um, and mm. they, most people like do hospice in like the last weeks, you know, when it's very clear and evident that that person is um, dying, you know, and some people choose not to do it at all. But unfortunately, the way our healthcare system is set up right now, um, there's hospice is a, and palliative care, which is another topic um, that needs to be understood a little bit better. Palliative care is like comfort measures. Can you say um, that word again? Palli- palliative care. Um, mm-hmm. um, so that's uh, um, like, I'll put it in the chat box. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a pre, pre, like it's just managing chronic conditions as opposed to, and making that person comfortable where hospice care is more catered towards end of life care or it's supposed to be if you have less than six months or so to live. Um, and with hospice, they no longer are treating the disease. They are just doing comfort measures for the most part. And so I think that a lot of people look at that as like giving up, you know. And so it, it might not always be appropriate, but there are certain services that are offered and available immediately with hospice care. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's available, like with dementia or cancer or any other condition that is uh, chronic and does not have a cure, sometimes certain stages of like heart failure and other things like that offer hospice care, you can put that person in hospice care for a short period of time and you get visiting nurses, you get home health aides, you can get respite care. Respite care is where they give you like a week or two to like either put them in a facility and you can go on vacation or they in home care. Um, mm-hmm. So you get those services um, for your loved one without a lot of the red tape if they qualify. And let's just say that, you know, you decide they're, you change your mind and, you know, they want to start chemo again and they want to do treatment again. That's okay too. Not, nothing is linear. And the doctors and healthcare team are not the ones who determine how long your loved one lives, right? That's 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 G-O-D, the universe. Um, you know, right. that's not in our hands. Um, we don't have the power. So six months, some people are on hospice for six months and it's two years and then they get off of it and they get better and they whatever. And then, you know, that's fine, but it's it's it, it the stigma around um, making people comfortable at their end, end of their life needs to kind of be separated because as as a daughter, I can understand the rationale, but our need to keep someone there that is ill is often a selfish need, and we need to, as loved ones, start also facilitating their your loved one's grief and, uh, and transition and letting them know that I'm going to be okay, that I'm healing and I'm, you know, that you don't have to suffer to be, be strong for me anymore. So um, creating that discussion in space of, of that it's okay to die 
I know it's it's very harsh to sound, but we 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 all do it, and we don't control when that happens. And death and dying can be a beautiful thing if you know that you did everything for them and provided them with comfort and love and support and mm. all of those things. And that's what I feel that hospice facilitates. Wow, some real talk. I, and when you're talking, I feel like this is literally just one layer of the onion that's been peeled back. Oh my God, this is a lot deeper than I thought. I would love to have you on again. I, I would love to come on again. And that's one of the, the yeah. hardest things for me is that people just don't know what they don't know, right? Like they don't, you know, they're just in the right, the moment, right? Like yeah. how, you know, how do I stay up and like care from someone before work, after work, deal with these phone calls, make appointments, all those things, care for my kids, try to like juggle the day to day that they, we're, we're stuck in the now. We can't have the clarity of, what's to come really. And so. Mm. You see how these notes I'm taking. <laughs> well, we're gonna, before we wrap up, may I read a couple of questions that yes. some people have already inboxed me because they were very intrigued about this topic. Give me a moment to pull it up. I'm saying, you know, I'll, I'll try to give the short and sweet version of uh, some of those answers. I can, like I said, it's something that um, I'm very passionate about. So, and you are, and wow, I'm loving it. Okay, here's one question. We kind of touched on some of these, but determining when long term care or residential memory care is needed or what's best. I've never heard of memory care, which is why I was intrigued by this question. So memory care is more for patients with dementia or Alzheimer's or some other type of like cognitive um, issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it is always a very individualized experience. Uh, and you have to think about how it is impacting you. You have to be a little selfish, right? Um, are you able to provide the care and attention that you need for your loved one safely? Mm -hmm. Are they having more episodes of like falls or injuries? Um, you know, are, are you becoming burnt out? Are other members of your family no longer able to be engaged in the care? Um, and so it's the, the big things I would say is where the resources that you currently have in place and their safety. It, once it becomes a safety issue um, for them, then it becomes better for you to put them into a facility or long-term care and manage it that way. Because there's there's still a big responsibility when your loved one is a facility to advocate for them and to make sure they're getting the right care there. But at least it frees up some of your hands-on activity um, mm -hmm. And so those are the big things. When it's no, when you feel they're no longer safe in the home and you can't provide that care. Nice. And we kind of touched on this already. This viewer, they asked, what about paying for the care without depleting your own personal income? That's, you know, like I said, it is a very hard one that um, it this country isn't, built for caregivers and there's a lot of advocacy starting but just looking into both your insurance your 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 employer sometimes employers in uh offer like through eap certain it's very rare but some uh resources making sure you take advantage i didn't say this but like of fmla and protecting your you know your your job if you're employed and just getting getting a handle of what your loved one has as far as assets and ways to to liquefy them. And what is the EAP? Um, employee Assistance Program is uh, generally EAP. Uh, so sometimes it's under a different name, but you usually would ca contact Human Resources and do they have any, sometimes they have financial advising, uh, they have uh, like attorney advising. So you might be able to like contact an elder, elder care attorney to help you make some choices 
they you often have therapy and other times they have like caregiver assistance as well. So mm. uh, looking in all in all in all areas. This was one of my favorite questions. This viewer wanted to know what are some tips to motivate a naturally reclusive parent to stay social and also helping them to get uh, get and stay on the schedule. And an example of a sundowner who rambles all night and sleeps all day. Sleep aids and meds have not helped. You know, before you answer that, that sundowner, I never heard of it or experienced it until about seven years ago. In while in the hospital, not me, but while I was in the hospital, I had no idea. And it's a real thing. But I just had to say that because that was a trigger for me. But can you explain to everybody what sundown is? So sundowning, I was a night shift nurse for most of my career. So it is when the sun goes down, um, you know, it, it's like that the freaks come out at night. Well, your cute little old lady who's 99 and so sweet and seems there and with it during the day, once the sun goes down, oh, you don't want to mess with, with that lady. Like she's combative, she's angry, she's hostile. Like it just brings out a, a personality that would never ever be there from that, not in their past, anything. It just, con the confusion that comes out in the middle of the night. Um, yes. from but what causes that? Is it the medication or what? It's, it's not uh, always the medication. And sometimes in facilities, it can be like the overwhelming stimuli. Like when you're in the hospital, there's alarms. There's a messed up sleep schedule. Nurses coming in through the night. Uh, lights being turned on and off. Um, a new environment. But it also just happens with age and uh, like certain cognitive like disorders. And the unfortunate thing to answer that question is that um, it goes back to there's only so much that we can control with our loved ones. Um, mm -hmm. And one specifically with patients with dementia um, or with confusion is sometimes you have to, ex we often try to reorient them into like, no, it's not, it's not Tuesday. Oh, you just ate or, you know, I, I'm your daughter, you know, like try to bring them back into uh, our reality, but instead we need to step into their reality. Um, and so whatever they say is true and valid at that moment. Uh, if, and you need to, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Lie sometimes, right? You need to tell them what they need to hear to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel supported, to feel heard. So you have to validate their fears that they're experiencing because this is what they're mm -hmm. experiencing. They, that's very valid. And there's nothing, we can't reverse dementia and Alzheimer's. So you need to step into their world and respond. What would you wanna hear if you said, I'm hungry? What would you, you know, what, what do you, it's almost like thinking of what they wanna hear and setting boundaries according to that and, you know, adjusting their environment um, to facilitate like sleep and other things, you know, making sure they go to the bathroom on a regular schedule during the day, uh, you know, even with like the whole social thing, uh, maybe mm -hmm. telling them that you're going somewhere else and seeing their response or, you know, uh starting the story around another story that would and would promote socialization with them, you know? And, th and if they respond positively, like, you know, what did they enjoy doing in their youth or what do they enjoy doing now? Um, so giving them the story and the narrative that they want to hear to promote the activity that you want. Um, but what if they are going through a depression? Now that I'm thinking about it, because when you're depressed, Sometimes you don't want to do anything or nothing motivates you. How do you tackle that? So, and that's when I would say, you know, get your healthcare team involved. Um, uh, that's a big part about advocating for your loved one. And if you, it's one thing if they are, they are normally this way and they've been that way their whole life. But if you notice a change in behavior, big or small, make sure you document those things, 
write them down. And when it happens, was there a new medication, a new life experience? How long it's been happening? Does it happen more after a certain activity? Things like that. What type of triggers um, might be happening? And then bring that to your healthcare team saying that, you know, I've noticed they're, they're more withdrawn. They're this, they're that. And see what they suggest. You know, uh, there are special geriatric um, doctors who uh, focus only on elder care. And so get it or like a geriatric psychiatrist um, will mm -hmm. focus on mental health of those who are aging and ask them what they recommend. Sometimes they might be quick to start them mm -hmm. on a medication um, and ask what other resources you recommend activities, things like that, and see what the doctor recommends, what type of test that might be able to be done, because maybe it's, it's, it's something biological that's happening that is affecting their energy level. And then understanding also that there are certain things that are just natural when we get older. We do have sometimes less energy. So, you know, less motivation, you know, less appetite. We, you know, certain things happen just because, um, so talking to your doctor about those things are important. That's powerful. Wow. I have one more question, if you don't mind. Uh, this viewer said, what about tips for staying connected or dealing with a parent with, the, well, what kind of answer this? Dealing with a parent with declining memory issues when you are long distance? So... The tips for long distance caregivers, if it's memory or any anything, is start early and set up those resources. Have the right to, you know, you you even without memory, you have to be their, you know, medical power of attorney. Have the right to have conversations with their doctor so you can get follow up information. And then I I'm a strong supporter of like technology, um, you know. So you know the whether it is cameras, if they're okay with that, or just video conferencing, um, other type of medication system reminders, alert systems, you know, fall alert, you know, we all, the I fall and I can't get up, we all know that. Um, putting all of those structures in place um, so that you can have eyes where you don't have eyes and then being connected with their medical team as well, so. Those are the biggest two things. I love that. I love that with the technology part. Whew. This was a lot. A lot. But, you know, again, these are certain conversations that need to happen as uncomfortable as it is. If any of the viewers are listening, just let me know if you'd love to have Diana back. I know I do, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Because if you all, not if, when you all go on her website, you're going to see that there's a lot more than what we just covered. So, yeah, I would definitely love for you to come back and we'll talk about that another time whenever you can come back. Sooner than later, it, it's needed. But thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, like your, your probe? Before you answer that, I am going, when you're, what is it, the care boss? When that is launched, I'm going to sign up for that, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, through all of this, you know, it, it is a lot. And I think the most important thing is to understand is that we need a simple way to be able to figure out what we need to do and assess it and not overthink and organize our, our life as a caregiver. And through each area of care, whether it is long-term care planning, you if you have a system in place, and know the next steps to take, then you'll be prepared. And so that's what the CARE BOSS um, uh, system does. CARE BOSS, they're both acronyms, and CARE stands for knowledge, um, authority, role, and emotions. And those are the four key components that every caregiver faces, um, that you either don't have enough information, you don't have the control or authority to make the change, you don't like the role that you have to be now as a, now you're a nurse, cook, chef, whatever else, housekeeper, mm -hmm. therapist to your loved one. Um, and then navigating your own emotion. You don't even know what they are. Anger, uh, sadness, grief. Um, so in every aspect of caregiving, 
putting that care um, and assessing those things are what you need to do. And so I, I kind of like simplify it in simple steps for each area um, on and on how to work through those areas, get more knowledge, authority, role, and emotion control. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you have, well, before we get off, I just would love for everybody again to check out Diana's website and it's rnbossd.com and definitely go on her social media under the same name and definitely check out my website which is blackgirlsgettingtheirshifttogether.com for all updates and uh, having our lovely guests. You'll just know what's to stay up to date. But Diana, do you have any parting words you'd like to leave with us? Uh, you know, I say this from the like most sincere place in of my heart that, you know, this is something that I would do for free. But sis got bills, so I don't do it all the time for free. Um, but reach out, um, reach out to me, and I will gladly point you in the direction if I uh, can. And I don't know everything, but it's just it's just so important to know that it's a lot. There's so much that we don't know about the caregiving space, and getting help is okay. And there are other nurses out here, social workers, other professionals, just like me who have been through it themselves and want to make your life easier. So please visit like, you know, my website, look out for my care boss um, course that's going to come out for caregivers and uh, just, just seek the help that you need because you don't know what you don't know. And that's all of us. Exactly. Oh, Diana, you know what? You are definitely a woman. A black girl that has her shift together. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> Stay on for a moment. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any more questions, remember just contact Diana. She she responds. She responded to me and she's another God's angel with all of this information. Thank you so much. And again, we are definitely going to have you come back. You all have a great evening. Make sure and tune in next week. And I'll give you that little teaser in 24 hours. You got to go to my social media for that. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you for having me. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure, you got to love a black girl getting a shift together, black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, man, these black girls are getting... Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you and I love you all. Twenty twenty has proved that we must be prepared for the unexpected, which is why you should contact an Edward Jones financial advisor like Tom DeLeo Day. Contact him at 770-466-0031 to schedule an appointment. Tell him Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together sent you.